Today we begin a brand new series, The Furnace, and it is a series that really is one message just spread over three weeks. And so I hope you will be here each one of those weeks because there's no way that we can get the full perspective of what God says about living in tough times, about having to be in the furnace. Uh, Today we begin with the bad news, so you picked a great week to be here, all right? Uh, Today the title of the message is The Reality of the Fire. And it's the bad news that we live on a broken planet. We live in a fallen world. That a great number of our days, if our days are permitted, we're going to spend some time in the fire. And there are many of you who are in the fire right now. And some of you are going into the fire and some of you are leaving the fire. But it is something that will be a part of living on this broken planet. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me, first of all, to John, the 16th chapter, verse 33. It's listed also there on the back of your worship guide and will be on the screen. It says, these things have I spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Now, these are the very words of Jesus Christ, who doesn't say you might have some tribulation in your life. He says, in this world you have Tribulation. And as important as that is for us to to see, I want us to see the, the first part of that verse because he says, I'm writing these words to you that you might have peace. Friends, the first step to having peace in this broken world is first of all to embrace the fact that it is indeed broken. That this is a part of what it means to live in this world until God creates a new heaven and a new earth that it is a part of our lot to have tribulation. And if we don't embrace that reality, if we don't accept that hard truth, there's no way that we can ever get to where we want to get, and that is peace. He closes that particular verse by saying, but take courage, I have overcome the world. In the midst of that fire, there is one who stands with us. Also in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, verse 12, It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. So he tells us not to be shocked. He tells us not to be surprised when we have a fiery trial, when we have times of tribulation. But we are, aren't we? We're always surprised by it. We're always shocked by it. We're always taken aback by it. Why is that? When the scripture is so clear, I think there are several reasons. One of the reasons is that we believe that an obedient Christian is somehow exempt from time in the furnace. When Jesus walked on this earth, he faced the same misguided belief. At the time that he came, it was very prevalent for people to believe that God rewards those who are good people, quote unquote, immediately, and that he punishes bad deeds immediately. And based on that presupposition, Jesus was walking along one day, and it's recorded in John that he saw a man who was blind. And they gathered around trying to test Jesus, and they said, now here's what we want to know. This man's blind, so apparently somebody did something wrong, or he wouldn't be blind. Did he sin, or did God know he was going to sin, or was it the sin of his parents that caused him to be born blind? Please don't miss Jesus' answer here. His answer is simple, direct, to the point. He said, neither. Scripture says that God causes the rain to fall on the just and unjust. Be very careful 
not to be too quick to determine when something bad happens, what God is doing or, or why it is happening. Truth is, is there are a lot of reasons that bad things happen in this world. Uh, one of the reasons is our own disobedience. Uh, there is a cause and effect sometimes, that not so much that God is punishing us, but that there are consequences. Those of us who are believers, we know that there is a, uh, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and a part of that death, the greatest death, is a spiritual death. The moment we accept Jesus Christ into our life, we are free from that punishment. And so there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But see, that's not the only kind of death that sin brings. Sin also brings death to the body, and it brings death to our emotions, and it brings death to relationships. And sometimes when we are going through a tough time, it is a tough time of our own making. And there are consequences that come because we have stepped outside of God's will, and when we step outside of our God's will, we make ourselves susceptible to some of the things that happen. The reason God gave us rules, the reason he gave us commandments is because he loves us. And he wants to protect us and to provide for us. And when we step outside of those rules, there are natural consequences. Even though we may never have to pay spiritually for those sins, even though God is not punishing us, we have punished ourselves. We haven't so much broken God's Ten Commandments as we have broken ourselves on God's Ten Commandments. So here's a guy who smokes a pack of cigarettes a day for 20 years, and then a spot shows up on his lungs. And he says, what is God trying to tell me? He's trying to tell you to stop smoking is what he's trying to tell you. God didn't send that spot. You put that spot on there yourself from your consistent disobedience. And yet we know that there are people who never smoke at all who have lung cancer. Don't be too quick to judge why something is happening or certainly to blame God for that. Here's a person who seeks to control everybody in his life because he wants to make sure they're doing what will make him happy. And in his effort to control everybody, he wakes up one morning and there is nobody. His wife has left him and he's estranged from his children. And he's a lonely, miserable person. That's not God punishing that person. That's the consequences of living outside of God's guidelines for our lives. Another possible uh, cause for some of the fires that we find ourselves in is the disobedience of others. Uh, somebody gets drunk, they disobey a command of God about not medicating the pain in their life with an outside substance that they would lose control of themselves to, and they get in their car and they start driving the streets, and they hit an innocent child. Don't say at that funeral that God called this little child home. God didn't do anything. It was somebody else's disobedience that caused that poor little girl to have her life cut short. And you right now would say, as I would say, well, that's not fair. It's not fair that one other person would suffer for somebody else's sin. That's right. That's not fair. Has your mom and dad told you that yet, that life's not fair? Because it's not. Not in this world, it's not. God is fair, but life is not fair. And it is not fair that you should suffer because of somebody else's sin. But guess what? It's not fair that they suffer because of your sin and because of mine. And it's certainly not fair that Jesus Christ had to die on the cross and go through hell on the cross because of all of our sin. But that's the reality of it, friends. 
We have to embrace that reality. It's what I call the toxic lake effect. It's as if we're all living around this pristine lake that God has given us to drink from. And we all have in our life toxic waste instead of taking the time to take it and dispose of it properly, which would be a lot more expensive, what we decide is that we just pour a little of our toxicity into that lake. And it's a big lake. Nobody will notice. But we're pretty smart. We're not going to pour the, our nuclear waste in the side of the lake that we drink out of. So we're going to go all the way around to the other side of the lake and we're going to pour that nuclear waste in the other side of the lake. Problem is that somebody on the other li- uh, side of the lake is just as selfish as we are and they come around and they pour their toxic waste in our side of the lake and we're all dumping it in the same lake and we're all drinking out of the same lake. And so we all suffer because of all of our sin. It's a part of living in this broken world. But then another cause is the fact that there is an evil one who's on the prowl. In 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, verse eight, it says that Satan is like a wild animal and he's stalking, finding those that he might destroy. I realize that's not a very popular notion in our day. There are a lot of people who don't wanna talk about a literal Satan or a personal devil, and he loves that. He really does. Because that sets him free to attack your family without you even being aware of it until it's too late. But there are many times that the the, the fiery trials that come against us come from the evil one. The theologian David Hart said this. He said, when I see the death of a child, I do not see the hand of God. I see the face of his enemy. And something bad happens in this world and and you think it's unfair and you want to get mad at somebody, get mad at the devil because he's the one that started it all. And he's the one that's working behind the scenes to destroy your reputation and mine, your family and mine, your marriage and mine, your children and mine. Another cause is just because we live in this broken world. In Romans, the eighth chapter, it says that the whole world is broken. The, the very nature of the world is broken. And when we see natural disasters and when we just see, see diseases and when we even see death, it's all a reminder that something is not quite right on this planet. It all began in Genesis because in Genesis, God gave man a choice. And he gave him that choice to obey or not to obey, to love or not to love, so that there would be integrity in his life, integrity in his choices, so there could be that depth of choice that comes in truly loving someone. And the first man made the wrong choice. And we've been making wrong choices ever since then. And because of that, there has been ushered into this world a fallenness that even affects the soil that we stand on and the clouds above our head. Constant reminders that things won't be right again until one day God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And all of the evil is set aside. But finally, and this is somewhat ironic, this is somehow muddies the water for us even more that sometimes the cause of the trial that we're in, the cause of the fire that we find ourselves in is because of our own obedience. In the Old Testament, you can read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're carried off into captivity with the children of Israel. God's chosen people are captives. Go figure. 
And then they have an opportunity to either worship a false god or to stand for their god. And they stand for their god and it brings them to a fiery furnace. And they're thrown into that furnace. And, they, and they're thrown in with a statement that they say, you know, we know our God could deliver us. Don't miss this part of it. They say, even if he doesn't deliver us, we will trust in him. They'd come to that point to realize that sometimes it's because of our very obedience that we find ourselves in tough times, that we find ourselves in a fiery furnace. And they embrace the fact that God could, but he might not deliver them. You may not like, I may not like, the way God manages the universe, at least from our perspective. But do not accuse God of bait and switch. Do not say, God promised me that once I came to him that everything would be smooth and I would no longer have any problems and that I'd have the best job and I'd make the most money and I would never get sick because God never promised that. There's some slick evangelists on TV who promised that, but God didn't. And you won't find that in his word. If we're ever going to find peace until we rest in the new heaven and the new earth that he's creating, we first must embrace the reality that in this world we will have tribulations. Do not be surprised when you find yourself in a fiery ordeal as if something strange were happening to you. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Just to clarify it further, verse 11, it says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for the same way they persecuted the prophets which were before you. Friends, this is not new news. This is the way it's always been. And if you know your Bible, you know that that even following Christ can get you in hot water. But we're shocked still, we're surprised still. Why is that? It's because we believe that being obedient, uh, an obedient Christian somehow exempts us from time in the fire, but we also believe that we have defined success as the very avoidance of the furnace. We're not the first people to struggle with this issue when Jesus Christ came and the Jewish people were underneath the Roman regime, uh, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And most of the people who heard those words from Jesus, they translated it as, oh, Jesus is going to help us overthrow the Roman government. There's going to be a chicken in every pot. Everything's going to be hunky-dory from now on. They defined the kingdom of God is at hand as human and temporary. They defined it as what they were already seeking before Jesus ever showed up. And in the same way, many times we want to use God to do for us what we wanted to do before we ever knew anything about Jesus. We want to just use him to bring about our comfort and our ease. Even after Jesus Christ had died and was resurrected, he was standing there and he was about to ascend into heaven. You remember the last thing that the disciples asked him? You find it there in Acts. They said, is it today? Is it now? Is this the time that you're going to restore Israel to the kingdom? 
to be in charge of their own fate? Are are they going to overthrow the Roman government? They still didn't get it, even after the crucifixion. What Christ really came to do. We see healings in the Bible. And then we have someone in our own family who gets sick. And of course, we pray for their healing. We should pray for their healing. But they're not healed. And we think, well, I long for the time that was like the time when Jesus walked here on the earth. And yet what we don't understand is that we're looking through such a small perspective because the truth is, is that Jesus didn't heal everybody on earth when he walked on this earth. You read the Bible, there are times when he's healing people and he gets to a point and he stops. And he walks away from a crowd that has sick people in it. And he gets on the boat and he goes to the other side of the lake. Has it occurred to you that all the people that Jesus healed while he walked on this earth got sick again and they died? They're not here. So what was all the healing about? In part, it was about the compassion of Christ when he saw a need and he had the power he met that need. But much, much more than that, he was doing that because we could understand the heart of God when we saw Jesus healing an individual person to point to a greater compassion that one day will heal all of us for eternity. You see, our goal, our success is defined by avoiding the fire. God's definition of success is that we would know the love of God and that we would be formed into the very image of his son. And the truth is, is that God can even take our fiery trials, and we're gonna talk about that next week and use it and redeem it and recycle our pain to actually accomplish a greater thing in our lives. In 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verse 16, it says this, therefore we do not lose heart. How do we keep from losing heart? By recognizing this, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Don't miss this. For momentary Light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. Well, we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Please hear this. Don't miss this. God does not make light of your suffering today. He does not. It's just that he writes a word across it. Temporary. This too shall pass. The the fire that you're in today, you will not always be in. And as much as you'd like to be relieved of this fiery ordeal, God will one day provide an eternal freedom, temporary. You see, we're shocked, we're surprised when we find ourselves as obedient Christians who have defined success as avoiding the flame in the fire, we're also surprised because we have an obstructed view. Years ago, Marsh and I wanted to go see one of the Circus Soleil productions. And very frankly, I forgot about getting tickets until the last minute, and I thought, oh, I hope I can get in, and I, I called up, and indeed, I was shocked in that I got put on the second row. Problem was that when I got my ticket, it said, obstructed view 
I didn't really know what that meant. I found out what it meant. It meant that we didn't see half of what went on that night. Because yes, we were on the second row, but we were at the very end of the row and our angle was such that we literally could not see 50% of the stage. And there were things, marvelous things, that happened that night that I knew nothing of. Because I had an obstructed view. And friends, you and I have an obstructed view. We, we see our life one frame at a time when God sees the whole movie. The sun shines, and when the sun shines, we see the light of the sun. But do you realize that the light that you're seeing is eight minutes and 17 seconds old? See, it left the sun. The light that you're seeing left the sun eight minutes and 17 seconds before you see it. Because light travels 186,000 miles per second, and it takes that long for it to come from the sun to where you are. The God who knows everything and the God who is everywhere was there when that light left the sun and he was there when it arrived and was perceived by you and I. On February 23rd, 1987, there was a Chilean astronomer who saw a supernova, an explosion in space that created more energy in one second than our sun will produce in 10 billion years. And he reported it, of course. But the supernova that he observed that evening had taken place thousands and thousands and thousands of years before. He was just now seeing it. The God who knows everything and the God who is everywhere was there when the supernova took place, when that explosion in space and another solar system happened. And he was there when that astronomer saw it for the very first time as if it was happening that moment. We look through a glass darkly. In Isaiah, the 55th chapter, in verse 9, it says it this way. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. It was the same message that Job received when Job was in the fiery furnace. Job has an entire chapter of, or entire book of the Old Testament written about his fiery furnace. He, he lost his health. Uh, he lost his children. He lost all of his possessions. And there he was questioning why, if he had been faithful to God, why if he put his faith in God, all this was happening to him. And he had so-called friends that came and they wanted to make all the dots connected and they just added to his misery. And finally he declared, though God slay me, yet will I trust him. In other words, he said, I don't like what is happening to me. I don't understand what is happening to me, but I will continue to put my trust in God who gave me all those blessings in the first place. But he came and he questioned God. And God said, Job, where were you when I created the world? Job, where were you when I spun all the stars into space? And he goes on and on. And basically what he says, bottom line to Job, is Job, even if I gave you the answer, you wouldn't understand it. You're going to have to trust me on this one. Rex and Kay Pollock have been members of our church for over 30 years, faithfully serving in our church. About 11 years ago, they got the diagnosis that Kay had bone cancer. And at that time, they gave her two to three years to live. And they went immediately into some uh, 
severe treatment that caused there to be damage to her heart and to other organs in her body. But a year and a half later, after that first diagnosis, she went into remission. Six years ago, her cancer came back with a vengeance. And she's been fighting it ever since. And just 30 days ago, they got word that a second cancer is now attacking her body. I see you guys walking around the church. You've had all this health problems. You've been in chemo. You've had this cancer come back, and now it's turned into a second form of cancer. And yet I see you guys at church all the time. I see you walking around the church all the time. What has been the thing that has kept you going all of this time? Well, knowing what God has done for me. And uh, yeah, I, I do walk like that. I do uh, push myself because I've got a lot to do uh, in my life yet. So what, if, what has God taught you during this time, Kay? Love. And what, when you say love, what do you mean by that? Wanting what he'd like more than what I want for myself. What has strengthened you during this time? What, what's been your strongholds? Steve, we have a, a support group that's phenomenal. And uh, it centers around our life group, first of all. And uh, we've been together for 30 years, some of us at least 20 years in that same uh, class. And it's just phenomenal to me to see how much they love and they care and they show that because they put their love in action. And we, we understand that we're loved. And so that's where we get that. Oh, and then another thing that's important to us that we can draw strength from is God's Word. Uh, I've enjoyed teaching God's Word at this church for 30 years, and I learn more than the class does, I know, but there are so many promises that we call out daily, and it all comes from the Lord. And, and my favorite verse of Scripture is, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God, for I will comfort thee, and I will help thee, and I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And I could just say that to myself every day, and the world would be fine. Because, you know, God is always there. We're never alone. Rex and I have started an unbelievable Bible study time together. And, uh, for five years now, we have set together. Our first task when we get to moving around the house is our Bible study time. But we have got so much strength from just knowing that we're in God's hands. So Kay, how has God redeemed this? What good has he brought out of it? When I got sick, I was the only sick person in our class. But what I have been through, I shared. And now we have a half a dozen people in our class dealing with cancer. We share one another's problems together. And I don't think that would have ever happened if I hadn't begun to open my life up, warts and all, to other people. When you look at the journey that y'all been on, Rex, how do you view it? Do you, do you view it as a hard journey? Uh, well, it is hard in that way because we would rather be on a different path, but this is the path that God has for us. And we haven't chosen it, and we wouldn't choose it, 
but we have to accept that because that's where we are. And our purpose is to glorify Him in it. And we've had opportunity to do that. And so He gets the praise and the glory. And it's just not about us. So. You know, it's my hope that your story will be an inspiration to others who face similar trials. Uh, I know that's one of the ways that uh, you may or may not be aware of the great impact that you guys have had. But there are a lot of people who have uh, gone through suffering times and they have mentioned your names. Hmm. No, I, 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 well, I know we see people we pass by frequently in the hallways, but I didn't, I, I didn't realize that it really had that big an impact on others. I pray that God can use it. Oh, I do, uh, because it would make the pain of my suffering uh, sweeter indeed. We don't always understand why God allows certain things to happen to people he loves greatly. But if we'll look close in the Bible, we will find a pattern, a very clear pattern. We saw that pattern even in the death of Jesus Christ. There is tragedy, the crucifixion. And then there is silence. All day Saturday, no word, no explanation. When Jesus died on the cross, that tragedy, everyone at that moment thought all was lost, that everything was terrible, and yet God was doing something in that day of silence that brought about the resurrection and changed the whole course of all of our lives. Don't miss that pattern. Tragedy, silence, and then always triumph. Job came to the end of that time and God began to restore things. After the long silence, uh, he had 3,000 camels and God gave him back 6,000 camels. He had 7,000 sheep. God gave him back 14,000 sheep. He had 500 donkeys and oxen, and he gave him back 1,000. And as you're reading it, you're, you're realizing he's doubling everything. And then it comes to his children, and he doesn't double the number of children. He doesn't, because you don't replace children. You don't replace relationships like sheep or cattle. But he did give him seven more sons, and he gave him three more daughters. And as you look at the story, if you look carefully, you wonder, why didn't he double the number of his children? And the reason that God didn't is that he never lost his children. They died, but they weren't lost. Those children were with God. And even though Job had no concept of it in that pre-resurrection time of the Old Testament, God knew something that Job didn't know. That one day those new seven sons and those new three daughters who had succeeded the others would be introduced by him to his seven sons and his seven daughters who were waiting for him in heaven. Tragedy. Some of you are living there. Some of you are living in the silence. Some of you have already experienced the triumph out of your fire, but here's what's the reality for most of us, is that the triumph 
won't come this side of the grave. Here's what it says in Revelation, the 21st chapter. and something you and I can look forward to. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. All of us who call him Lord will stand one day together. And we'll read the scripture again. And we'll declare the faithfulness and the love of our God, which we already have an evidence of in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we know that we can trust you. We know that you are the one who gave us life in the first place, that we owe everything to you. And then on top of that, you redeemed us through the very death of Jesus Christ. And we embrace today the fact that if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, that we too must suffer even as the one that we say we follow. And that his prayer that things would be done on earth as it is in heaven has not been answered yet, but will one day be answered. And we long for that day. We wait for that day. We trust you until that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.